But I'm excited to be here um, to finish our False Gods series. Um, it's been a, a, a privilege to listen to Pastor Drew um, preach about the, the false gods that we can replace um, with our, our appearance, our relationships, our fun. Um, and the kind of key scripture that we've been going back to over and over again is Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. It says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. But I think in order to understand the Israelites who are, is getting this commandment, we need to understand where they came from. The Israelites are, are getting these Ten Commandments. They're getting these instructions from God. But there's a very intentional way that God is giving them the instructions. And it's evident at the beginning of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And so God starts off giving the Ten Commandments with that statement. I'm the Lord your God uh, who got you out of Egypt, who set you free from slavery. Therefore, here, here is what I command you to do. Here is what I'm telling you to do. Here is your instruction. And at the time of receiving the Ten Commandments, they're kind of getting to know God again. That this is the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they're pretty far removed from the time where they really, really knew God. But what they really knew was Egypt. What they really knew was the culture of Egypt and everything that Egypt does. The Israelites just came from being enslaved. They were in slavery. They were oppressed in the land of Egypt. The Israelites, they were cruelly treated. Um, Pharaoh was their ruler. And then God sends a guy named Moses to set them free. And in one account where Moses is kind of having it out with Pharaoh, this is how Pharaoh replies in Exodus chapter 5, verses 4 and 9. It says, Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many people in your land, and you are stopping them from their work. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. And you might think, why in the world is that significant? That they're keeping them from getting straw. Because the Israelites, they were building things, they were making bricks. And how they did it is they got the clay, they got the straw, they put it together, they make a brick. And normally what would happen is the, the straw would be there and they would just have to put the bricks together and build with them. But what they're saying here is make them work more. Make them work harder. Make them waste more time. And then we'll see, and it continues, it says, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. So do, do the work harder, work faster, work harder, do more. But we're not going to say you, you have to make less. And so they're working harder, work, 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 work. And then it says, Pharaoh says, they are just lazy. That's why they cry out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. And so the slave drivers, they, they whoop them into submission. And when they try to kind of reason with Pharaoh, like, this is too much. You, like, we can't make the same amount. It's a lot of work. It's, 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 it's not possible to do it. Pharaoh responds like this, and Exodus 5 says, but Pharaoh shouted, you are just lazy. And he says it again, lazy. 
That's why you're saying, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you. You must still produce the full quota of bricks. And so it's work, 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 work. And so the title today, as we continue our false God series, is Work is My God. Work is my God. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, in the name of Jesus, God, that I would be hidden behind your word. God, that your Holy Spirit would come and it would not be me. God, we want to hear from you. God, we don't care what I have to say. God, we care what you have to say. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And as we can see in this scripture, their work, 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 work. I would say that you don't even have to like your work. You don't even have to like your job in order to make it your God. In fact, only 20% of Americans say that they are passionate about the job that they do, that they're passionate about their work. And yet, 88.8% of men and 66.5% of women work more than 40 hours a week. And of those people, 77% more than, work more than 60 hours a week. That's a lot of time to do something that they're not passionate about doing, something they don't even like doing. Now, what I'm not saying is you can't like what you do. I hope you go to work and you're fulfilled. I hope you love what you do. And what I'm not saying is you can't work hard. I believe that the people in this room should be the hardest working people there is. I believe we should work hard. But things start to get out of line when we start putting work above God. When we start constantly thinking about work, 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 work. And when we start putting work above God, things at home start to get a little out of hand. Real mental health issues start coming into play. Real identity issues start coming into play. And when we expect our job and we expect our work to do what only God can do, we're going to end up empty. But as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, I was like, why? Why do we make work our God? Because if we're being honest here, we don't like to work. By the raise of hand, who likes to go have a, just a nice hard day's work, right? You might raise your hand, but I know we got a lot of hardworking people in here, but we don't like to work. I love what I do at the Epoch Dream Center. I love what I do here at Lyft Church, but there are days where I'm thinking, I'm like, it's a nice day to play some golf. I'd much rather be doing that. It's a nice day to strap on the basketball shoes and play basketball, right? It's hot outside today. I could really just sit down and watch Netflix all day long, right? We, we don't like to work, right? You can love what you do, but I guarantee you, you would rather be pushing your kid on the swing or on the golf course or playing basketball, watching Netflix, getting a massage or a pedicure, right? We would much rather be doing those things. So why in the world do we make work our God? We don't even like doing it. But I would say that a lot of us do, and I'm in that same category. And so what I want to start with this morning is I want to help identify three reasons why we make work our God. Three reasons why we make work our God. And the first one is money. Money, money, money. The only problem is mo money. Mo money. Right? The more money, the more problems. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to say right now. But I just wanted to do it. I think it was, I think it'd be cool. Um, but money, right? And not only is money causing us to put work as our God, money oftentimes becomes our God. And money takes the form of greed when we make it our God. And in Luke chapter 16, 
It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So Jesus is talking specifically about money here. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Money, when we make it our God, takes the form of greed. And greed, greed can be sneaky. It can be real sneaky. In Luke chapter 12, it says, Jesus says this. He says, watch out. He says, be on your guard against all forms of greed. He's saying, watch out for greed. Now, I would challenge you to think of other sin, some other kind of common sins, you know, lying or adultery. He doesn't say, watch out that you don't do those things. He says, don't do those things. But he's not saying, watch out. Because when we're lying, we know we're lying, right? We don't stop in the middle of it. Wait a second. I think I might be lying right now, right? We know when we're doing it, right? Now, if you're committing adultery, you don't stop in the middle of an act and be like, wait a second, this might be adultery. No, you know, you know it when you see it, right? That's not so with greed. Greed can be really, really sneaky, and Jesus talks more about greed in the New Testament than anything else. Greed is not just the love of money. We, oftentimes when we think of greed, we think, gimme, 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 gimme. And that's a part of it. The, the constant wanting, the constant getting, the constant buying, the constant money, money, money. But also, greed can take the form of excessive anxiety about money. It's not always getting the more, more, more. Maybe you're just thinking about it all the time. Maybe it's always on your mind. And if I'm being honest, I can often do that. And Timothy Keller, an awesome author, he is much wiser than me, says we do three things with our idols when he's talking about money. He says, they love them, trust them, and obey them. Lovers of money are those who find themselves daydreaming and fantasizing about new ways to make money, new possessions to buy, and looking jealously on those who have more than they do. And this is mostly where I fall into, if I'm being honest. Trusters of money feel they have control of their lives and are safe and secure because of their wealth. And idolatry also makes us servants of money. Because we look to them for significance and security, we have to have them, and therefore we are driven by them and we must obey them. Right? We love money. We trust money, which makes us serve money. And now, I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't have a great accumulation of wealth, right? So I'm not finding my security in like, man, I don't have to worry about it a day in my life. But if I'm being honest, I find security in knowing that I have a little bit in the bank that can get me out of a pickle if I need to, right? I find security in my money sometimes. And oftentimes, greed will disguise itself. Greed will disguise itself as good. A 401k is great. A Roth IRA is great, right? But when we're always thinking about those things, the money, the, the preparing, the, and that is always on our mind, it can take the form of greed. Greed will also disguise itself as responsibility, right? I have to take care of this. I have to take care of that. 
and therefore I have to work more to get more, to be able to pay for more. I have to get to that next level. And what it becomes is just getting more and more to the next level. And greed will disguise itself as need. Greed will disguise itself as need. We think we need these things. We think we need that. And we work hard to get it. And I'm not saying we can't work hard because we need to, to work, to get, to, to live. But what ends up happening is we work for this need and we think we need this. And so we work for that. And then we, we need to get to that next level. But once we get to that next level, we see what everybody else has on that level. And so then we work more to get to that level. And then it's a cycle of getting more and more. I got to get to the next level and the next level and the next level. So greed will take its form in need. But listen, this is a heart check. This isn't all necessarily exterior. I understand the reality of, of, of where we're living right now. It seems like some of us are being paid less to work more, to pay for more expensive things sometimes, right? I have to go to the gas pump every week too, right? I have to pay $65 for my one week's worth of gas, Right, I'm in it with you. I know how it feels. And I know that there's the reality of I have to work. I have to make money in order to provide for an actual need. I get that. And, I, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm with you on that. I work hard too. But working hard isn't the issue. It's a heart check. You have to have a real heart check. And Jesus told the Pharisees that. He said, God knows your heart. Specifically when he was talking about money. And then in Luke chapter 12, he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So, Lift Church, I want to challenge you this morning. What are you treasuring? This is an honest heart check moment. And practically, I think this looks like living within your means. Now, what do I mean by that? Living within your means basically means I would really love an Xbox Series X right now. Anybody else hear me? Anybody else want an Xbox? Yeah, me and Winston, we know what we're talking about here. Right? I would love an Xbox Series X, but it, it's just not in the budget, and I know it. Could I get another job? Could I work a little harder? Could I take more time out of my day to make a little extra cash? Sure, I could do that, but what do I treasure? I treasure my relationship with Christ. I treasure my wife, and so therefore, I'm not going to take more time out of there for something that I might think I need, but it's really not my means. Right? I would love two brand new cars. I, I, I don't want to speak it into existence, but our cars could blow up at any time, right? Our, they make some weird noises sometimes. I would love those new cars. And if I'm being honest, we could technically do it. I would just have to work more. I would just have to be in the office more. I would just have to make a little extra money. But it's not in our means. I treasure my relationship with Christ. I treasure my time with my wife and with my family. And therefore, I'm going to live within my means. My car gets me from point A to point B. That's what it needs to do. And so therefore, I, I go with what I treasure. And to kind of sum up this point about money is we can honor the Lord. There is nothing wrong with providing a great life for your family and, and, and providing for your kids and, and having cool things sometimes. But we can honor the Lord by living simply. We can honor the Lord by living simply. I preached at youth the other night, and they put up a picture of me, and I was wearing the same exact clothes that I was wearing in the picture, right? I don't have that many, I don't have that many outfits to exchange from when I'm up here on stage. I wore this shirt probably last time I was on stage, right? Living simply 
can honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your money. What do you treasure this morning? That is the mindset of Egypt. The money, 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 work, 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 or else. Don't go back to Egypt. Now, number two, number two and three, I believe should be in here, but I also believe they could be sermons in themselves. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over these, and I'm going to have a couple quick points about them, um, but know that there is more to be said about this, and I believe that th- it, th- we could write two whole messages about this. Number two is power. Why do we make, make work our God? Because of power. We find our significance, our power, our identity in our job sometimes. Think about it. When you meet someone for the first time, what's normally the first thing you tell them about you? What you do for a living, right? You, you introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Aaron. What do you, they ask you, what do you do? I'm a pastor at Lift Church, right? It gives us identity and power and significance. But my question to you is, who told you that's all you could be? Who told you that's all all that you were meant for? And I would claim today that there is something so much greater. There is something so much more. You have a greater identity. You have a greater purpose than your job this morning. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But number three, the third reason we make work our God is escape. Escape. Sometimes things at home can be hard. Sometimes things at home can be rocky. Every time I'm there, it's loud. Every time I'm there, we're fighting. Every time. Sometimes when we work at the world, we can feel out of control. It can be scary. And when we go to work, it can feel like we have control of something. I can get this task done. I can do that thing. When I go to work, I escape. And so sometimes we put work in the place of God simply because that's where I can go and feel in control. And so those are three reasons why we Put work ahead of God. But now, that's the why. I want to I give you the how. I want to give you two ways to bridle this idol. Two ways that we can knock work out of that top spot and put God back in his place. Two ways to bridle this idol. Number one is practice the Sabbath. Practice the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and 9, this is in the same list of commandments as the, the original verse. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day. By keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. You see, the Israelites, they were coming from a land full of anxiety, a land full of coercion, a land full of do more or else. And coming out of Egypt, they are invited to know the God of rest. That coming out of a place where Pharaoh was their God and Pharaoh was the person handing down the judgment of work, 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 or else, they're invited to know this God, the God of rest. And right now, in the United States of America in the year 2021, I think that same truth is for us. That in a time and in a place full of anxiety surrounding work, full of coercion surrounding work, full of do more to get more or else, I think this morning you are invited to know the God of rest. Take one day. One day, don't think about work, don't do work, don't talk about work. I know sometimes we can act like we're off, but in the back of our head, you're, you're planning for the next day, right? We act like our, we're off, 
we're off from our job, but the yard work's got to get done. But the house project's got to get done. Take one day out of your week and say, I'm going to be with God. I'm going to not think about work. I'm not going to talk about work. I was the worst at violating this commandment right here. This is one of the ten commandments, the only ten things that he asks. And this is often the one that we ignore. And about probably two months ago, right, Sundays is a day that doesn't necessarily work for me to Sabbath because I'm here, I'm doing this with y'all. And so I take Fridays off now. And I say, I'm not going to think about work, I'm not going to talk about work. And it has changed my life. It has changed my walk with Christ. And practicing the Sabbath, practicing the Sabbath is a direct, it is a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. It's something that we can point to and do and say, I am, I'm fighting against the culture, I'm fighting against the anxiety, the coercion, the do more, and I am decisively and concrete and visibly opting to follow Jesus. And it's one day. The Sabbath breaks the pattern. On the Sabbath, you don't have to do more, you don't have to sell more, you don't have to control more, you don't have to know more, you don't have to have your kids at ballet, you don't have to have your kids in soccer, you don't have to be more young, you don't have to be more beautiful, you don't have to score more because this one day breaks the pattern. And all are like you. When we all choose to rest and we choose to follow this command, God is saying everyone is equal, everyone is equal worth, equal rest, equal and he invites you to know the God of rest. And when we honor the Sabbath and rest, we declare three things. We declare, number one, I am not what I do. I am not what I do. That when we declare and we practice the Sabbath and we rest, we're declaring, I am not my job. I am not my work. I am not what I can accomplish. Number two, we declare the world will not stop if I cease. The world will not stop if I cease. The world is not going to stop if you take a day off. The world is not going to give up if you rest. In fact, I would even claim that you're going to be more productive, you're going to have more energy, you're going to get more done if you rest and you trust God with that. And number three, we declare that Christ is holding all things together. That when we take time and rest, even though I could really get this done, it comes around to your day to rest and, and something pops up and it's like, I should get that done. But when we choose to rest, we're saying, I trust Christ with that. I trust Jesus with that. I trust that he's in control. I'm not in control. I trust that, that he's going to provide for me. I'm not just providing for me. We trust him. We declare that when we Sabbath. Sabbath is where we recognize that we live by gift and not by possession. Where we choose to trust God rather than ourselves. And when we choose to honor the Sabbath, the Sabbath is not just a rest that refreshes, but it's actually a rest that transforms. It will transform your life. It will transform your walk with Christ. It will transform. It's not just refreshing. Trust me, it is refreshing to get a day off, but it will transform as well. Will you get to know the God of rest this morning? He wants to give you rest. Work is not what it's all about. And number two, how do we bridle this idol? Is we redefine the promised land. We redefine the promised land. When the Israelites left Egypt, 
Moses was taking them somewhere. Moses was taking them to a land that was promised, called the promised land. It was a, it was a place uh, flowing with milk and honey that had everything they could ever want that was provided for. That's where they were heading. But Moses, Moses was never allowed in the promised land. And sometimes, if I'm being honest, I kind of struggle with this. I'm like, God, that's messed up. Like, this man led them out of Egypt. This guy did what you asked him to do, and he's not allowed in the promised land? You're not even going to let him in? But then there's this scene at the end of Moses' life where he's sitting on a mountainside with God, and he's looking into the promised land. And I'm like, man, that's, that's pouring salt in the wound, right? You're looking into the land that you'll never be able to go in? And on the, on the surface, this can look kind of sad, and it can look kind of cruel. Like, he's got to look into the place where he's never going to go. But when you dig deeper, I think there's something different here going on. I think that the physical destination of the promised land was no longer what Moses had in mind. It was no longer Moses' promised land. The Israelites continued on, but Moses, I think his promised land changed. And it was right where he was, sitting on that mountainside. He was sitting on the mountainside just being with God, resting with God, knowing exactly who he was. And I would, I would say this morning that that is your promised land too. And if we would shift our focus, if we would redefine our promised land, we would start to knock work out of the place of God. Being the CEO and working and getting to that next level is great. It's not the promised land. Having the most sales, not the promised land. Being the best teacher, being the best pastor, being the best at what you do, getting your kids to soccer on time, all great things. It's not the promised land. Will you redefine your promised land this morning? Will you redefine it? as just being with God. Your job is not what you do. Your job is not who you are. And in John chapter 1, it says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who told you that's all you could do? Who told you all that you could be was your job, your work, your significance was in what you do and what you can accomplish? Who told you there's nothing more? Because your identity is you are a son and you are a daughter of the king. You are a chosen and a set apart people. You are, you are a royal priesthood. You are God's own special possession. You mean more to him than we can even imagine. You are a son. You are a daughter of a king. That is your identity. That is your purpose. That is who you are. And knowing that and resting with God, that's the promised land. Stop striving to be more and more and more. You're already exactly who you're supposed to be. You're already exactly where you're supposed to be. Will you rest with God? Keep growing with God. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep pursuing your faith. But you are exactly who you were meant to be right now. A son and a daughter of the King. And this morning, at the end of this series, I want to challenge you. 
to, to knock all those idols out of the top spot. Whether it's work this morning or whether you heard it in the, seri- in the, the sermons before, your appearance, your fun, your relationships, will you knock that out of the top spot and make God number one again? And will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, there's a king, and he's building a stable. He's, 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 he's getting his army together, and they need horses. But all the best horses were in Egypt. And the Lord simply told him, you must never return to Egypt. This morning, if you're in this room, and you're saying, I've been, I've been working a lot. I might have had that slip into the top spot. It's go, go, go all the time for me. I'm always worrying about money. I'm always thinking about where it's going to come from. I find my security in it. That's Egypt. That goes all the way back to Egypt. And I think the Lord this morning is saying, don't go back. Don't go back to Egypt. I want to be in your top spot. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are chosen. You are set apart. That's the promised land. Will you rest with him this morning? And if you want to declare this morning, I think there is power in declaring that, God, you are number one. If you want to declare that this morning, you want to declare, I'm never going back to Egypt. I'm never replacing God with my appearance, my relationships, my work. Will you raise your hand right now? Will you slip your hand in the air? I just want to pray with you. Will you declare today that, God, you are number one. God, I'm tired of putting things above you. God, I'm I'm tired of having other idols. God, I'm ripping them down this morning. God, you are number one in my life. Will you raise your hand? Who will declare that this morning? I want to pray with you. Will you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, we declare that you are on the throne. We declare that you are enough. God, that we trust you, we trust you above our finances, we trust you above our work. God, we declare today that I'm a son. I'm a son of the king. And that's where I'm going to find my significance. And if you're in this place, before we leave today, and you feel far from God, and you're you're hearing about this, and you're saying, I want to be close to him. Maybe it was for the first time, maybe it's for the first time, maybe it's for the first time in a long time. In Romans it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift this morning. If you're feeling far from him, it's really easy to get back to be close with him. You just have to repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness for what you've done wrong in your life. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and say, I'm going to follow you from now on. It's a free gift, and he wants to give it to you. And if that's you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. Will you raise your hand this morning so I can pray for you? Will you raise your hand? I see your hand. Will you pray this prayer with me? And Lift Church, will you pray this together with with them? Will you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive me for all the things I have done wrong. 
And as you pray that, if you think of things in your life, I would, I would confess them to God right now. Forgive me, God. I want to follow you. God, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow him the rest of my life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.